Welcome back to the Football Fitness Federation podcast. This is episode 80. This episode is with the lead academy sports scientist at Reading, Oliver Harrington. We spoke about the challenges that Oliver faces in his under-23 role. We talked about how he implements max efforts into the programme. We also touched on and went into quite a bit of detail, to be fair, on running mechanics and how they factor in working on running mechanics with the players. And then we also touched on the culture they've developed at Reading in the academy in regards to the sports science team and how they approach CPD and how they basically keep each other accountable and keep um, keep trying to progress as practitioners. So it was great to dive in on all of that with Oliver. I think there's loads of good takeaways in this one. So I hope you enjoyed the episode. I just want to say a, a thank you again because we've had a few more iTunes reviews in. So a huge thank you to everyone that's left us a review. We've had loads of good reviews the last few weeks. So I really do appreciate you taking the time and going over to iTunes and leaving us a short comment. It's been great to hear um, the shows that people have enjoyed. And then we've also had a few people mentioning some guests they'd like to see on the podcast as well. So please, if you haven't done so already, leave us a short review. I like what people have done previously, topics you've enjoyed, guests you've enjoyed, and then, yeah, any subjects you'd like, to, like us to go into more detail on or cover, and then any potential guests as well, because we can always reach out to them and see if they will come onto the podcast. Um, so please let us know and enjoy the episode with Oliver. Welcome back to the Football Fitness Federation podcast. This is episode 80 with Oliver Harrington, the lead academy sports scientist at Reading. Ollie, how's things? Yeah, very well, thank you. Yeah, it's uh, just stuck inside, but um, yeah, enjoying the sunshine as much as I can. Yep, all good. I think the weather's come at a good time, mate, hasn't it? Just to keep oh, everyone a bit entertained in this period. Yeah, definitely. But it uh, adds a little smile to your face whenever you wake up and you see the sunshine. It's, uh, it's good. Definitely, mate. So just take us through, I just mentioned your current role. Let's go through your career so far. Let's see where, where you've been and what you've been up to. Yeah, so I'm the uh, under-23s, well, lead academy sports scientist focused with the uh, under-23s at uh, Reading Football Club. Um, I've only ever been at the one club. I've only ever been at Reading. Um, I did a degree down at Bournemouth University in actually in sports psychology and coaching sciences. Um, and one of the main reasons I chose that degree was I actually had the opportunity to do a placement year. Um, so I did my two years down in Bournemouth um, and then was lucky enough to secure a placement at Reading um, working under Red Franklin with the under 18s which was uh, which was brilliant really really enjoyed um, and then went back to do my final year at university and this was in 2012 when I graduated uh, was when the, the EPPP all kicked off so there was the opportunity for a, a job became available so I applied and was was lucky enough to get it um, and that was working with the under nines to under sixteens, and that was uh, that was that was good, really, really, really good. I was I was worked for three years with the nines to sixteens before then making the jump up to the under twenty threes, and I've been with the under twenty threes for the past five years now. Um, so yeah, learned a lot uh, over the eight years now that I've that I've been there. Um, worked with some really really good people, um, and obviously, like I just mentioned, Ed Franklin was. Uh, was was pivotal in all of that um, and learned a lot of the stuff that I've that I now do today from him. Um, so yeah, that's that's where I'm up to at the moment. Um, not not too interesting in, in terms of changing clubs, but uh, yeah, definitely learned a lot of my time at, at Reading. 
And we just had a little chat off air and I wish I'd have recorded it because we went into a bit more detail than what we, we probably should have done without <laughs> recording it. But we spoke about the, 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 I'll start that again. We, t- we talked about the current circumstances with players and obviously players working from home and training from home. But it was just interesting when we were talking because we were saying about the 18s and the 23s basically having to be ready for the end of this season now, which is possibly something that wouldn't have happened otherwise, isn't it? Yeah, um, so we've uh, when this when this all kicked off, we um, we were we were fairly quick to get sort of programs out to our players. Um, we sort of set them up with a th- with an initial three week sort of program, um, similar sort of um, goals in mind, but the, the some of the exercises might change slightly. The gym programs would change slightly just to keep it interesting for them, um, and then it sort of continued on and continued on. Um, and with the, the government now saying there's going to be another period of sort of three weeks lockdown, we've actually taken the initiative to put our players on a bit of a deload, deload week, a uh, two week deload. Um, so they're going to be not receiving anything from us for the next two weeks. Now, what we would say to that is still to encourage them to go out and do something. Uh, obviously, going outside is, is great for your mental health, and we don't want people cooped up inside and sort of not doing anything. So we've said, Every day, go out with your family, go for a walk, go for a cycle. Um, but we're not placing too much stress upon actually going out and going for a run uh, or doing the, the fitness work that we've asked them to do. After that initial two weeks of, of downtime, we'll then ask them to do the first week back would be quite a light week. And I guess it's similar to sort of starting the off-season program that we would have given them um, at the start of last off-season, which would start with a week of just uh, nice light exercises, building them back up. Week two being a little bit more um, strenuous and then week three, as much as we can, preparing them for when they are likely to come back um, for this mini pre-season, if you like. Um, and then, yeah, I guess I guess we go from there. Um, ideally, you would have a longer pre-season to build up for games, but I think everybody's in the same boat and you just got to just got to roll with what you can. Um, so, yeah, I think I think that that two weeks down, then another three week build up. And then we'll hopefully, hopefully be back in um, to work with the players again, which will be which I'm looking forward to. The uncertainty is a tough bit at the moment, isn't it? Because I think if, yeah. if we could have started the lockdown period and obviously known the weeks and everything, we could have treated it in a very structured way. Um, yeah. But it sounds like you guys are treating this now as like the off-season period. Is that is that fair to say? Yeah, definitely. I, I was listening to um, podcasts a couple of weeks ago, and and some people were when they initially went into lockdown, they treated that as their, as their downtime. Um, we, we decided not to do that. Uh, not saying that's right or uh, that's wrong. We decided to keep the boys ticking over because we weren't sure when we were going to come back in and our thoughts were, we could be back in at any moment. We just got to keep them going. But now this period of, of um, an extra three weeks, at least uh, we decided to let the players have a bit of rest um, and then build up again from there. Um, but like, like you just said, it's, it's uncertain times and no one really knows. Um, so, we, yeah, it's, it's crazy. We just touched on before, again, before we, we recorded um, something else that we should have recorded, but you just talked <laughs> about the, uh, the benefits of this period as well. So there's, there's a lot of things that are going on right now, isn't there? Yeah, yeah, it's been brilliant. Um, it seems as though everybody's come out and, and is producing webinars, which I think is only going to improve the industry. Um, it seems as though a couple of years ago, maybe four or five years ago, people were not as open to releasing information and 
people wanted to keep stuff for themselves to try and just just get an edge that way but it seems as though now everybody's just come together and said right this is what we're doing hope it helps um and there's been some really 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 good stuff there's been some some brilliant stuff that i've definitely taken from a few webinars uh, but at the same time it also reaffirms sort of what you're doing as well so some of the stuff i've been listening to um you actually think about well yeah we're doing that as well so we are along the same lines that that's great um but then you do pick up a few different bits of information here and there which which can only improve your practice when you come back in um and get back out on the grass hopefully yeah definitely i i agree i think it's it's a time where it's been nice to see so so much um, or so many people's put so much out there and, and there's yeah. loads of opportunities to make use of this extra time isn't there from all the things that have been going on it's great to see um yeah yeah in, in terms of your role Ollie, in, with the under 23 focus so let's just touch on some of the challenges that you face in in that um with that group because they're, they're between two areas really aren't they in between that development phase in the academy and then that performance phase in terms of first team so what are some of the key challenges that you face I guess structure is one of the is one of the hardest things. Um, we try and stick to a structure as much as we can in the under twenty threes. Um, our typical week would look like match day, recovery, and then an off day, and then we would usually have sort of two working days. So we would have an, an intensive day or a startup day. Um, we would then have an extensive day where we would try and hit sort of bigger numbers, bigger max, uh, high intensity numbers, max speed. Um, and then the way we like to work is have a day off and then match prep before the game. So we would have day off, match day minus two. Um, and wherever we can, we do try and stick to that. But the under 23 schedule is so different that there isn't always that structure. At under 18s level, you play, you play your Saturday games and then you've got your week to, to build up. Same with, uh, first team level. Even at championship, you, you know, you're going to play Saturday, Tuesday or, Saturday, sometimes even Wednesday, so you can you can start to plan a little bit more. At under twenty three level, it's there isn't that much as much structure as that. You could be playing a, you could be playing across a Friday, Saturday, Sunday, or a Monday. You might then have cup games during the week if we're we're part of a um, uh, county competition as well. They're often played on a Wednesday evening or sometimes a Thursday evening. So it's it's just trying to stick to that plan as much as you can. Um, which, which can sometimes potentially be difficult. You've also got the challenges of the end goal for the under-23s or academy football is to get players into that first team. So you are always trying to push players into the first team as much as you can. Now, that sometimes means if you were due to have a day off, but the first team need players in, that that is the priority. Um, it's just then working with the coaches and working with the players to say, do we just get one player in who's needed? Do we bring the whole squad in? Is, is it necessary to bring the whole squad in? Um, but yeah, the, I mean, the end goal is to get players into the first team. So, so dealing with these challenges is, is, is part of the job. And I guess I learned that from working with the nines to 16s. That you go from working with 150 odd players for, through under nines all the way through up to under 16s, up to 10 or 15 different coaches, physiotherapists, loads of different people, loads of different people that are involved. Um, so there's constant challenges that you have to deal with, but I guess that's 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 part of being being a sports science practitioner or being um, in the role that that we're in, and you have to relish that. I think I think you have to enjoy doing that. If you, I'll be honest, when I first started the first couple of years, it was it was difficult, and I'd let stuff get to me. Um, stuff would change, and it would be difficult to deal with. 
but I, I think that's again that's one thing that I learned from from Ed was just you've got to be able to deal with it and you've got to be able to change and 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 roll with it um, and contingency planning is key always yeah I think um, I think it was Fintan White who spoke recently on the podcast from from Birmingham he's, he's in a similar yeah. position obviously 23s and he, he spoke yeah. about having the different plans in place and being able to be flexible and uh, I think and again yeah. we touched on it just before I think this period when we do get back into the season is probably going to be one of those times when players are getting pulled from pillar to post, aren't they? They might be 18s, yeah. the first teams, 23s being used in squads yeah. and not playing and just travelling exactly. and all the rest of it. So what are some key considerations that you've got to make for that period? Is it a case of just doing what you're doing, but just on a, I suppose, like a more reactive scale in terms of there might be just more of it going on? I think it's just it's just having a plan in place is, is absolutely crucial. Um and I think having relationships with people again is also is so key in what you do. If if you if you're narrow minded in thinking this is what I want to do, this is what's going to work, you will never you won't get anywhere. Um, you need to be able to build relationships and and have that communication with people to as much as you can understand what people need. So, like I mentioned, the first team are absolutely key. So we've got to make sure that we have that communication with them to find out what they want. Um, that's then communicating it with the coaches, then communicating it with the player. Um, but you've just got to prepare the players as much as you can for whatever eventuality might, might actually happen. Um, it's not easy. Um, but again, yeah, you, you've, just got to, you've just got to prep players as much as you can and have that constant communication with the key stakeholders that this is, this is what might potentially happen. The first thing could go who knows what their schedule is going to be. They could go into a, into a, um, a really, really congested period. Um, and hopefully touch wood, there isn't any injuries, but with, with the, with what's been happening, um, I think unfortunately injuries might be inevitable. So we've got to make sure that these young lads, these academy players are ready for that step up and ready to, to help out wherever possible. And again, we just spoke about it before, about having like um, the network of people that you can reach out to, and especially in this period that's so unknown for coaches. Yeah. What what are the, some of the discussions you've had? Have you have you reached out to your network to see the sort of approach that other people are going to take when they when they do get the green light? Yeah, definitely. Um, I actually I know Finton really well. Like he he was he worked at, at Reading for for quite a few years. Um, so I've been speaking with him, speaking with. Uh, that's one of the things at Reading is there's been a lot of people in my eight years, I've seen a lot of people sort of sort of come and go. Um, but that means that I now have a broader network to actually speak to people as well, which is great. So chatting with those guys, seeing what they're doing, a couple of people at Fulham, um, a few guys at Liverpool. It's, 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 it's really important to keep that communication with people to, to find out what people are doing. Um, everybody's situation is different. Don't get me wrong, but there is definitely things you can take and, and you can apply um, because it, it might just it might just prevent that one extra player getting injured, or it might it, it might just get somebody back from rehab quick, or any, anything like that. It's um, any ideas that you can get, and, and listening to some of the great webinars that have been out there, um, it's 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 essential. Um, so yeah, no, no keep, keeping communication is 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 paramount to to whatever you want to do. 
I think it'd be great now because we're going to touch on um, max effort work with your with your players. So reverting back into the normal world when we're allowed to see our players and and work with them face to face. Like, forgotten what it's like. Forgotten I know, what yeah. it's like. <laughs> Feels strange talking about that, doesn't it? But when we do get back into that period, and obviously the approach that you guys have taken normally, max effort training and and the implementation of max effort work with players. What's your sort of general approach? And then we'll go into a little bit more on specifics. So we, um, we, we sort of get the warm up, if you like. That's, that's, that's the work that we get to do with our players. Um, so we, we've, over the years, we've managed to progress to sort of 20, 25 minutes of, of actual work with the players. Um, and like I mentioned, we'll have an intensive day and an extensive day. Um, I know people sometimes have intensive, extensive speed days. It doesn't necessarily always work with our schedule. So we try to do our speed days on our extensive days. So we would look to try and get <clears throat> at least one max effort, if not two max efforts a week um, on, on max speed with our players. Um, and that's sort of developed over the, the past couple of seasons. It would used to be immediately after the warm-up. So we would do a sort of 15, 15 minute warm-up with the players and then ask them to do a sort of max effort, a max speed run, sorry. Um, but over the years, we found that actually getting players to do the warm-up and then doing a passing drill or a possession drill and then coming back out to us just to ensure that they are fully warm because it sometimes might be that you could put the best warm-up on in the world. Not every player enjoys a warm-up and I'm, I'm happy to admit that. Um, they would rather just be playing football. Um, you could do the best warm-up in the world, but it might be that some players don't necessarily uh, adhere to it as much as you would like. So letting them do that passing duo and ensure that they are fully prepared um, to do that max speed, they will then come back to me and do a sort of flying 50-meter sprint. So sort of build up over 10, 15 metres and then ask them to sprint as quick as they can. Um, and we found that that really, that really helps. Um, we're lucky enough to have the live GPS system. So we, we're, we use Catapult and we've got the live GPS system. And we found that players really buy into it as well. So immediately, as soon as they've done that run, they're coming over to ask, oh, did I, did, what, what speed did I get? What speed did I get? Um, and so are the coaches as well. They, they, are, they are really interested in, in what the players are doing. It's, it's, it's lucky that we've got that because we can say to players, right, this is your max speed. We're looking for a, a 95% of your max speed. Um, and straight away, we can tell them whether or not they've done it or not. Um, so, yeah, we found that the, um, the majority of our max speed efforts come within our extensive sessions rather than actual match days. Um, and we would look to try and, as the seasons, or as we're progressing further now, we, we'd rather it come within the football-specific context so at the moment it's it's very isolated in that they come out and they do their max speed run with me we want to try and put it more into a um, football specific context listening to Laura Bowen's um, webinar a couple of weeks ago they've got some really really good drills that that allows players to reach those max speeds um, with with the footballs involved which is only going to uh, engage players even more um, so yeah that's that's how we've that's how we've incorporated it um, and found some found some good results from it. And speaking to a lot of coaches, I think that is the general idea with the max speed work is that it is going to be integrated into the football practice more and more. I think coaches will yeah. do that. I think that your comment on the the warm ups is is I think that's um, it just makes sense because the amount of times you will watch a warm up on TV or you'll be at a game and you think that if you take the overall the the overall um, view of the players. 
you think that some are, some are going to be prepared for what they're going to be yeah. going into, but some aren't. So I think bouncing to that football practice and then coming back to it is a really good approach because it does give them... I bet you see the shift, don't you? Where as soon as they get the balls out, the, the mentality yeah. shift, that they're, they're going to be moving a little bit, a bit more purpose and intent going behind the movement rather than just yeah. going through the motions in terms of warm-up. Yeah, exactly. It's it's. Uh, I've been doing taking warm-ups for, like I said, nearly eight years now and I've definitely, well, I like to think that would have improved. I might have gone backwards, who knows? But um, I like to think that they're at a level that I think I can get players to to perform a max speed, but that's only if you get 100% buy-in from the player. Um, and some players are naturally just not fussed. Uh, they would rather just play football, which I think you have to you have to understand. Um, like I mentioned, there's not too much point getting phased by it because you could just fixate on it and think, oh, he's so and so is not doing it. He's not doing it. What can I do? Whereas you just think, right, okay, he doesn't necessarily enjoy it. Let's change what we do and let's get them into that football specific drill to ensure that he is going to be working at a higher higher intensity and then he can come back to me for 10 minutes where we can do do that max speed run um, and he's he's, he's he's going to be still avoiding that injury risk because um, there's nothing worse than asking a player to sprint at max speed and you see him pull up with a hamstring injury and you think oh Jesus <laughs> Because that is the important part of that, isn't it? The exposure side of it. And obviously, we, we do yeah. want to develop speed. And I'll, we'll go into that in a second, because that's something I want to touch on as well. But the exposure is the important bit, isn't it? Which is obviously where yeah. um, like the, a lot of the research is behind that we need to give that exposure to players. And But it has to be at that level too, doesn't it? There has to be yeah. that attempt behind it. And if players aren't, aren't pushing it, and we, we all can think of players in the, in the public eye that that will go through drills at half ass, and they're not going to get that yeah. ready until they go into no. the game. No, it's. Um, I, I did a presentation to to uh, to the sports science guys in in our team um, last week, just on our data from Max Speed. So I pulled out all the efforts that we've hit throughout the season, individuals, um, positions, where we hit them, like what what sessions is it that we're hitting them in. Um, and it's it's so crucial. You look at all the look at all the research now that's saying it's it's not only does it help you to improve your max speed overall, but it's actually helping you to avoid injury. Um, but you need to have that that intent to to, to sprint as quick as you can. Um, now, obviously, there's going to be potential barriers like the weather. If it's if it's absolutely teeming it down with rain, you're not going to reach a max speed. But I think the intent to actually do it and run as quick as you can on that day. Um, will have a beneficial effect. You know, things like whether you've got surface, if it's like I said, if it's winter and it's the, the ground is as soft as anything, you're not going to hit a max speed. Um, I think motivation is, is, is a big one as well. Everybody's situation is different. It could be contractual. It could be an argument with a, with a teammate. It could be family life. It could be, it could be all sorts. If you're, if you're involved in a, a fit non-starter session, so you haven't played in the game the day before, you're a bit annoyed, but we still need you to hit that, that, max speed effort it's it's tough not only are you asking a player to hit a to, to join in an extra session with four or five players you're asking them to run at a max effort um, but I think again it comes down to communication and your relationship with the player you've got to explain the reasons why you've got to explain that you need to do this in order to to, to, to improve your game to improve your performance to improve your max speed but also to decrease your risk of injury 
Um, and again, that, that comes down to your, your relationships with the player and your communication with the player. I think it's, it's really important. I hope you're enjoying episode 80 so far. It's a, it's a great episode, this one, plenty of information with Oliver. I just wanted to let you know that Hamish Munro's presentation, Velocity-Based Training in Professional Football, is now available on our community. So if you go to footballfitfed.com, click the community tab, sign up there, you get a free month on the community, and then it is only £4.99 going forward after that free month, um, and that's £4.99 per month. And we do have, we have just confirmed a few really exciting future webinars as well. So they'll be coming hopefully within the next few weeks and we'll, we'll announce those as soon as they're available on the community. If you are a member of the community as well, it would be great to get some feedback from you. So things that you've enjoyed, aspects of the community you've enjoyed, but we're also always looking at ways of improving it. We have got some big long-term plans for the community on making it bigger and better. But if you have anything uh, specific that you want to let us know about in terms of feedback on the community like we're all ears we want to hear what you guys think so let us know you can drop us a message or an email mail at footballfitfed.com and enjoy part two with oliver i think that's some really good practical advice and obviously something that's come with experience because i think we all go into that role thinking that we can get everyone through some max effort work, we can improve everyone's yep. technique, get everyone faster. But at the end of the day, you get a player that doesn't necessarily rely on the speed in the game as well. It, it, it might yep. be a slightly different type of player. And we can think of players um, that, have, that have played at the top, top level in Champions League and World Cups that you'd probably say that weren't the quickest at all, but have got very yep. good players behind them. So are those guys really <laughs> going to prioritise speed? But... So it's accepting, isn't it? It's accepting that, yeah, we can we can hit some of the group and we can get some really good results and the others, what can we get out of them? Yeah, exactly, exactly. But it's, it's you're not always going to have the best relationship with every player, but again, as long as you can communicate with them um, and, and again, you have to be adaptable as well. You have to have um, soft skills with players to <clears throat> some, one player might need you to have a bit of a go at him or a bit of a push at him. Whereas another player, you might need to put your arm around him and say, listen, come on, we need you to, we need you to do this for this reason. Um, and I guess, again, like you said, it does come from experience. I remember when I first started and all these numbers are flying around and you want players to hit this and oh, he's not hitting that, right, we need to get him out and do more. But actually you need to think more on the social side of it as well and think, what's he going through? Why is he, why is he not doing it? Um, and again, yeah, it does. It does all come from experience. Um, but one of the one of the great points that, um, that Harry Routledge mentioned a, a couple of weeks ago on, on on the podcast was players are people as well. They are human beings. They're not robots. Um, you've got to be able to actually engage with them and, and understand that they are a human being. And yeah, you, you've got to you've got to listen and talk to them. No, definitely. That relationship's really key, isn't it? We talk a lot about relationships with coaches, but the relationship with players and understanding exactly that is that you've got, yeah. if you've got a group of 16, you've got a group of 16 individuals with individual lives and individual things going, circumstances going on. You just, you don't know, do you? So getting yeah. to know your players like that. And I think we've all had players that we haven't had the best relationship with, but then on the flip yeah. side of that, we've had, we've had relationships with players that have been amazing and, yeah, it's just managing both ends of the spectrum, isn't it? Hundred percent, hundred percent. Yeah, I'll be the first to say that. 
I had some really good relationships with, with, with some players. Um, you asked them to jump, they'd say how high. And there were some that didn't necessarily buy into what you were doing. Um, now, that doesn't mean that you completely don't work with them. I think you have to be able to adapt and, and trial a new way with a player or maybe work with them if it's in the gym, work with them on their own rather than in a group setting or just have a one-to-one chat with a player or get a key stakeholder that's 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 invested heavily in their career to actually come in. I remember having a chat with a player um, and he actually brought in, he, he brought in one of his, um, one of his family members to, to discuss stuff with me. And I was more than happy to do that. I've got the, I've got the data all up and I said, listen, you're not hitting what we need you to hit. You want, you're trying to get into the first team. These are the numbers of the first team at, um, at a certain position. And unfortunately you're not just at that stage. So what is it? What, what's holding you back? And, then they start to open up a little bit more because they feel more comfortable and then you can develop a relationship that way. So it's, it's not just one size fits all. You've got to be able to think outside the box a little bit. And I know it's cliche to say, but, but you do have to. You have to think of different ways to communicate with players and um, yeah, develop develop different ways of, of engaging them and, and helping them out. That's the real skill of a practitioner, isn't it? And it, I spoke recently with Shane Murphy about it because obviously he's gone from a position of being involved with players day to day to now working it's only a small part of his business but he works individually with some players as well and it's a very different sort of point of view that you get Um, and time's an issue as well isn't it because we don't have all the time in the world you do still have to get the the best results for all of your players yeah no 100% Um, it's it it is tough and it's it's a lot it is a lot of work Um, but it's it's how much you want to it's how much you want to actually help the players, I guess. Um, now that's I don't mean that negatively to say that some people don't want to don't want to help other people, um, but I guess it goes down to the team that, that you've got around you as well. Um, if you've got a team around you that that can afford to help you out, then then it then it it uh, reduces the, the the workload a little bit. Um, and I'm lucky enough that the, the team that we've got in the sports science department and the, and the medical department as well are, are fantastic and, and pivotal to what, everything that we do um, as a department at Reading. So. Awesome. And then I, I said as well, we're going to touch on, so we talked about exposure, max effort, speed exposure, but where, do, where does mechanics fit into that? So how much time do you spend working on um, running mechanics with players and where does that fit in? So we, um, we try and get some sort of mechanics to within within most of our sort of warm-ups so that would be we might we break our warm-ups down to to be like a pulse raiser we then go through some some dynamic stretches and and preparation that way and then if we were going into a max speed day we would touch on it briefly for sort of three four five minutes but we don't spend too long on it um i think it's a it's a real difficult area. I think it's very important that you have some sort of uh, impact upon the mechanics, um, but you don't want to spend too long with the limited time that you have um, spending too long on those mechanics. So we would spend sort of three, four, five minutes in trying to improve them um, in our extensive sessions. Or if it's your intensive and we're looking for more accelerations, we'd focus on uh, acceleration mechanics or deceleration or change of direction, things like that. Um, and we touch on it in the gym as well. 
So as part of our gym sessions, we do, again, we do a bit of a warm up, um, but we try and throw little um, snippets into our, into the gym sessions as well. Uh, and Dave Breakspear, our uh, head of s and is, is brilliant at, at incorporating all that within to his, into his gym sessions that he gets the, gets the players to do. So um, it's, it's important to, to touch upon. Um, yeah, I think it's, it's, it's definitely something we incorporate um, and try, try and fit within our programme. Yeah, it's an interesting one, isn't it? Because the, we obviously understand the real benefits of, of moving efficiently. and But at the same time, you could spend a lot of time doing it, couldn't you? And, and it's time yeah. to probably be spent doing other things and, and being a little bit more eff- effective with the time. So it is finding that balance, isn't it? Yeah, definitely. Um, like, like you mentioned, you, you could spend hours and hours and hours and hours on, on working on somebody's on running mechanics. But at the end of the day, they're, you only get 20, 25 minutes to work with a player. Um, is it best spent actually letting them do more acceleration efforts or doing more max speed efforts? Um, you can, you can, if you keep drip feeding it in and the, there's, there's been a lot of talk about sort of minimal effective dose and things like that. And I think that's what we try and do. We try and do something little and often. Um, and again, that just comes down to not just being out on the field doing the, the, the mechanics with players. It's also showing them I've been in the gym and shown like videos of, of, of top athletes to, to players. And they're like, Oh, that's how I need to be doing it. And some people learn differently. Um, some people need one-to-one time. So you spend a little bit of time if they are in the gym and you've got a group of eight, nine or 10 players and they're working on their mechanics, you can work one-to-one with them. Some players need it to, to, to watch other people. Um, and some players need to just experience it. Um, so that's, yeah, that's, that's, that's how we like to do it. Um, yeah. I think that's it seems to be work it seems to work quite well for us I think it's an interesting area isn't it it's one thing I've been thinking about recently because you see a lot of players moving very differently don't you and some there's some players out there that you look at and think that they move that well you you'd, you'd probably call it poor like the movement's quite poor but they're really effective yeah. and sometimes you've got to stand back and you think hang on the, the, the sort of principles of what I'm trying to teach are going out the window because this player is quick, but they don't move yeah. well. Uh, in my eyes, in my like, if I put my technical uh, glasses on. So, what in terms of like teaching players with different styles of movement? Are you just are you just giving them maybe an outcome? Are you saying that we want to accelerate from here to here as fast as possible, and you sort of find the way, or are you breaking it down into stages? Try to break it down. Try to break it down. So say we want you to get we want you to get from here to here as quick as possible um this is what you're currently doing and again we we film all of our under 23s and under 18 sessions so again that's been a really useful tool to say to show players yes you are quick but could you do this slightly differently again i was listening to to cam joss's uh webinar um the other week which was just it was just brilliant it was it broke stuff down really well and I can't wait to get back and actually use some of the things that he was, he was talking about. Um, but I think allowing players to, to actually get exposures is, is, is really, really important. So making sure that they can, um, if you're doing acceleration efforts, do sort of five or six or even up to sort of eight efforts. Um, but then also drip feeding those small, could you do this better? Could you do this better? Um, have you tried, for the next couple of for the next sort of couple of efforts, just think about punching your knee through, pushing the back foot away, or 
if you're accelerating, try and stay as low as you can, drive the arms and you've got to be, be careful. You're not giving them too many points. Um, because then they're just going to get bogged down and they're actually there to, to play football. You'd rather than focus on the technical, tactical um, points that the coach is going to make. But can you give them a few points to think about acceleration or think about their max speed or think about their stopping, cutting, change of direction um, just to help them out as much as you can? It might be that they take one or two bits from it um, and it has a, a, a 1% difference, but you, you've effectively done your job there and you, you've improved that player, um, which hopefully can allow them to get a contract or, or whatever. You, you don't know, but as long as you're doing something and, and it's backed up by, by some of the research, um, I, think it's, I think it's great. And that's one thing that we've been, we've been doing at Reading, which has been um, brilliant. The, the sort of couple of months before we broke up, we were having our sort of own internal CPD events where we'd, we'd pick a paper or we'd, we'd, we'd look at a video, um, discuss it, or if it was around running mechanics or anything like that we'd go into the gym we'd practice it we'd say right this is what we want to do um we trial things out ourselves and then we'd put it into our own warm-ups and talk about it whenever we whenever one of us had done it so if um harry working with the under 18s had done it we'd, we'd we'd sit down and discuss it in the afternoon did it work did it not what did what didn't um who did well um and yeah and i think that's that that's been really beneficial for, for me as well um actually working and talking as a team talking back to relationships it's not just the coaches it's not just the players it's actually the people you work with within your sports science department um you want all you want to all be working along the same page and pushing towards that end goal that, that is that is one goal um which which has been yeah which I, I've, I've found really interesting and one thing that we've done within this lockdown is every sort of friday friday morning we've done a, a zoom meeting where we've discussed a paper um, we've read it sort of three or four days before and recorded the meeting and just had a chat about it. What was everybody's thoughts? Um, what were some of the good points? What were some of the sort of points you'd like to change? How can we implement it? Um, what are some of, the, some of the potential barriers to implementing it? Um, and that's that's been brilliant. That's been that's been really useful. That culture that it seems you guys have got going there, because we talk about culture a lot for players, but not so much in terms of a sports science department so much. And that sounds great. That yeah. sounds like it's a... A, a culture where you can really progress as a practitioner. Yeah, yeah, I'd, I'd, I'd like to think so. We've, we've, like I mentioned, there's I've been there eight years. We've, um, there's been a lot of people come in, um, a few people go. But I think, again, go, going back to to the person that spearheaded all of that was Ed Franklin. Um, he he was absolutely paramount in in everything that I've done. Um, but he's always employed good people. Um, you've got to have good knowledge. You've got to be able to apply that knowledge, but you've also got to be a good person as well. Um, and again, it goes back to, to sort of his boss, which was a, was a guy called Eamon Dolan, who was, was just incredible and an absolutely incredible man um, who was the academy manager for, for many years. Um, and he was absolutely incredible. So it's not just about being a good practitioner. You've got to be a good person. Um, and I think that's been sort of carried on and we're trying to, keep that culture going of um, continuing to learn always. You're always continuing to learn and you always want to learn off different people. Now, just because I've been there eight years doesn't mean that I start to say that I know everything um, by any stretch of the imagination. I'm learning off, off all the, off all the other guys all at the same time. Um, and it's, yeah, it's, it is, it is a good culture. Um, 
And it's again, that's down to just great people. I'm sure there'll be a few coaches listening that are at the academy coaches that maybe there's just them and nobody else, or even first team, and thinking, I wish I had that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, um, again, it's, I've mentioned it before, and it's, I think it's, it's been really successful for me is having relationships and building relationships. It's, um, it's essential for me. Having, having good relationships with people builds trust, builds communication which at the end of the day is only going to improve your knowledge and your application, but also the player's chance of success. Um, Because my experience might be different to somebody else's experience. Helps me to see it in a different light. Helps me to see, oh, actually that player might not have seen it like that. So it's just all about um, taking as as much experience and and getting the best relationships that you can um, to improve, I guess. Yeah, definitely. And, just to wrap up, mate, am I, am I right in saying that you guys are, are going to be moving training grounds and there's plans in place for that? Yes, yeah. So uh, the training ground is is currently being currently being built um, and hopefully finished very soon, which will be which will be amazing. It'll be really really good. Um, we're currently all on one site, and we, we're sorry, we're all going to one site, but the, the academy and the first team all share a gym at the moment. Um, but when we move into our new new facility, there'll be a first team gym. There'll be an academy gym, which will just be, which will change our practice. And we're already talking about that moment. So these, these discussions we have over Zoom or when we're talking about papers, we're also discussing what can we do currently at Hogwood, but what can we do when we go into Bellwood? And it's, it's really exciting. We're, we're all coming up with different ideas, running it past people. Um, and it's, it's, it's a really exciting time. So hopefully whenever we move in there, it'll, it'll only improve our practice even more and, and again, improve the players. Um, improving players' experiences and players' chances of success. Awesome. We'll have to keep up to date with uh, what's going on 100%. down there, mate, definitely. And then just yeah, in 100%. Of, if people have got any questions, Ollie, if they want to reach out and they, they want to um, grow their network as well, like they want to reach out to you yeah. and ask anything, is there a place to do that? Is, is Twitter the best or is there anywhere else? Yeah, perfect. So it's just, it's just at Ollie Harrington on Twitter um, and then LinkedIn as well people want to have me on LinkedIn I'd be more than happy to as much as I can get get back to people um, I like to yeah I'd chat with as many people that are, that are, that are willing to chat and um, as long as I can get around to it I'll, uh, I'll definitely be more than happy to, to speak to people Perfect mate well I think that was great I think there was so much good stuff in there and I really appreciate you giving up your time No thank you very much I was, I've been looking, look, listening to, to all the podcasts and you've had some some unbelievable speakers and some really really interesting guys guys with a lot more knowledge and experience than I have so it's it's uh, it's a privilege to, to be asked to come on so thank you very much and um, I really appreciate the opportunity no problem at all mate and uh, stay in touch and when the season gets going and best of luck for the rest of the season thank you very much cheers mate come. I hope you enjoyed episode 80 of the Football Fitness Federation podcast my biggest takeaways from the show with Oliver were where he talked about players needing some ball work um, at the end of the warm-up so to make sure that they're prepared. And I think we see that a lot, that sometimes there's not the, the outcomes that we want from a warm-up. So in in introducing or u- utilising some ball work can get the players switched on and ready, especially before games. Um, I think a lot of us will see it when you see these warm-ups on TV or you might have taken some yourself you get to the end of warm-up and think yeah players aren't in that in that right state yet so introducing some ball work can really help and focusing more on the social side than stats and numbers 
which is a really interesting debate. And it's something I think um, Oliver mentioned in the episode about Harry Routledge's episode where he talked about players are humans and we need to understand that. But also when I spoke with Shane Murphy, he spoke about that being one of the key aspects of him now working privately with players that he could get into the sort of emotional and psychological side of the players and understand exactly what they're going through on a day-to-day basis. So I think that was really good to hear from Oliver as well. And then the culture that they've created, I said at the start of the episode, sports science culture at the club, it sounds like they've got a really good culture. They're constantly looking at CPD and ways of improving. I think that's really, really valuable. And 